In every generation, there are the chosen ones, the fanboys, the observers, the keepers of useless trivia. They alone must stand against the forces of television drama tropes. They are continuous play. Oh, come on. Stake through the heart, a little sunlight. It's like falling off a log. Welcome to Continuous Plays, The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective featuring Brian Thomas. Don't make fun. I work long and hard to get this promise. And Jay Newcastle. Just because this is never going to work, there's no need to be negative. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Welcome to The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 12, Surprise, written by Marty. If you need some sex in your episode, I'll write it for you, Noxon. While the gang plans Buffy's surprise 17th birthday party, Drusilla and Spike are hard at work to reassemble an indestructible demon called the Judge, who can burn the humanity out of people simply by touching them. Meanwhile, Jenny Callender is visited by her uncle, who warns her to keep Buffy away from Angel because of dire consequences. Buffy manages to steal one of the Judge's arms, thus preventing his full assembly, and in the process crashes her own party. Jenny suggests that Angel take the arm to the other side of the world, but he and Buffy are ambushed by Spike's vampires, and the judge is reassembled and awakened. The judge almost kills Buffy, but Angel jumps in there and saves her. Later that night, Buffy and Angel consummate their relationship, making love for the first time at Angel's apartment, or at Angel's house. Angel awakens, startled by something unseen, runs from his bed into the rainy street, screaming Buffy's name in pain. To be continued. And Brian, that's our episode summary for Surprise. This was part of a two-parter, but it wasn't shown on the same night. This is when Buffy switched nights. They showed this the first night. They'll show the second part on the second night. It was a genius way of doing the episodes to bring the audience along. It's some of the highest rated episodes in the series. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, this is just a point when I was all in and sold on Buffy when I was watching it through the first time. When I saw this go down... I, I had to know more immediately. Could not wait for the next night. This is a fantastic episode. You know, highest ratings they've ever or received, some of the highest ratings they received, with good reason. This is a fun, fantastic, well-written, and well-executed episode. I love this episode. Lots of things go on in this episode. Not, you know, it's not just all the action. It's the storyline that they're putting down to the plot twists that they're making into this one episode and even into the next episode that makes this so much fun. And I, I love this episode. And we joked about Marty Knox in there in this because she does often write a lot of the steamier storylines here early on. But this is, this is a great well-paced, well-written show. She did a really good job with this, and she really understood a lot of the Angel-Buffy dynamic and how to turn it on its head a little bit. And it, it there's a lot going on here, and we, we need to get into it. You know, the, the big theme here, though, Brian, for this episode, and it's something that really stems over the next uh, couple of episodes, is well, what do we say about bad eggs? It's all about adults trying to teach 
teenager's responsibility, right? Well, the next step of that is, are you ready for the responsibility that stems from your actions? Been building this up for several episodes. Uh, you know, the teenagers all are ready to be adults, but are they really ready for that next step? And, and it starts out in the simplest way of, Buffy and Willow having that conversation about, I, th- you know, I think I'm going to sleep with Angel, essentially. I think he's going to be the first. He's going to be the one. And that that's a huge thing for any teenager's life, and it's a big thing for Buffy here, too. And I liked how they subtly brought that in. They didn't just hammer us over the head with that. Yeah, I agree. They've been building up the relationship between Buffy and Angel quite well over the last several episodes to show you that they're really getting into it. They're in the heart of this relationship, and you can tell at any point it's going to escalate to the next level. And now Buffy's actually thinking about escalating to the next level and has decided that she thinks it's the right time to do that. And yeah, this is definitely interesting and are they ready for the responsibility for it? I guess we'll have to wait and see if they're ready for the responsibility for it as this episode and the next one progress. Yeah, indeed. And they, they really do play with it the whole time. we got to talk about the judge here, though, Brian. Uh, Brian Thompson, who played Luke in Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest, our first two episodes of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer show, returns as this big blue tub of goo. <laughs> I, every time I see him, I think of a big blue ram. Yeah, I mean, he's just, yeah, he kind of looks like that. He's just a, he's just a block. That's all he is. And he doesn't really get to do a lot of this, but I I like the concept of the judge, this idea that he was put forth by the old ones to rid the world of humanity, and he separates the righteous from the unrighteous, and he burns the the righteous. You know, that's usually the other way around in in Christendom and, and almost any kind of religion, right, is the righteous people are the saved ones, the unrighteous are the punished. Well, the judge is the reverse of that. He's the demon's judge. And so he judges the righteous and burns the humanity out of him. I liked the idea that they, they all talked about him in these hushed, referential tones. And it really gave the character a lot of depth without him ever really being on screen very much. Yeah, and what I really liked about him, too, is that, you know, you, you say separates the righteous from the unrighteous. That includes both humans and the vampires and demons. Because he first thing he says to Spike and Drew is, oh, the humanity on you stinks. You know, I can smell the humanity. And so if he were to judge those two, they would be dead because they have too much humanity, according to him. And, and I like that. I think that's an interesting little twist, too, because it's not just humans that he'll he'll destroy. He wants only those with no nothing. They, they feel nothing. They'll do whatever they need to do. And I like that. And I kind of read the, the old the old genie trope with him is that he couldn't harm Spike and Drew because they were the ones that put him together. You know, so he can't do anything to them, even though he'd really like to, and he doesn't. And the, you find that the reason he was put into pieces was that he cannot be killed by any, no, no weapon forged can can beat him. So they had to cut him into pieces and spread him around the world, and now Spike and Drusilla are working to put him together. I thought he was kind of a neat, I mean, if you're going to have a bad for the episode that's just sort of the bad of the week as it is, he's a lot better than the Bazaar Demon or, or some of the other, or, or the Praying Mantis or some of the other horrible stuff we've we've had on this show. Right. And he's realistic too. I liked him a lot because he is more realistic in the demon realm as someone who could be a threat, a major threat to everything that Buffy and the gang are trying to do. And you actually got the feeling that this guy could, if he got the chance, stop uh, everything from happening. And that's what I liked about him. It's a little more realistic. And like you said, 
you know, no weapon forge can destroy him. And it took an army to cut him into pieces and spread him throughout the world. So that's an interesting uh, twist right there as well. And I like that. And that, you know, comes into play later in the episode. Absolutely. And it, it is a cool little twist with him is that he, you build up this thing that's indestructible and, and it's neat how they ultimately solve that riddle. But it's cool as they're putting him together because he's the, the puzzle of the episode. He's the, the puzzle of the maze game this time that Spike and Drew and their schemes are trying to put him together. I want to talk about Jenny's uncle for a little bit too, if, if you don't mind. He rolls in here and... You know, we're starting to get some stuff about her that we didn't know. Oh, and, yeah. And I love that. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah I mean, and, and to the credit of the writers, they didn't have this figured out for her. They just decided that, you know, if we tie a lot of this into her, it'll tie up some loose ends, and it, it gives us some, some good ideas. I mean, the, the, if you listen to the commentary for these two shows, Joss Whedon says, we didn't know where we were going with, with Jenny, but when we got to this part of the season, we decided, you know what, let's put some of this on her, and let's give her this uncle that will come in and explain to her that he's, you know, Angel's getting too happy, and she must do everything she can to stop this from happening. And I kind of liked him as a character in the way he tied into her and really brought her around as being a lot more than what she has presented so far. Yeah, and major props to the writing team for coming up with that idea. I think that was perfect. I mean, you don't, they introduced Jenny as a character who knows all about the mystical realm already and never really explains how. It's just saying she's a techno pagan and, and knows about this stuff. And this finally ties it in to see, okay, now I understand how she knows how. And I like that. Well, and the, and the uncle comes in and the first thing I say when I see him is, is Merrick back? Because seriously, <laughs> he's wearing the same outfit as Merrick does in the movie. Well, it's a creepy looking dude, you know, child predator. It, oh, he's, he's not diagnosing her menstrual cycle, so I would say no. <laughs> yes, and you know, he does a lot of good, uh, interesting stuff here to lay the foundation for what Jenny will become in this season as it goes forward. And, you know, the question I had in this episode that will get answered in the next episode is, at this point, do you think that the uncle knows what could happen if Angel reaches uh, true happiness? Actually, I do, but I'm not going to talk any more about that until we get to the next episode. But yes, I do think he knows. Okay. I At this point, I had no idea if he knew or not. I, the way I read him at this point was that he's there and all he wants is for Angel to suffer. He doesn't know what the consequence is going to be if Angel doesn't suffer. He just wants revenge and suffering, and that's what I got off him at this point. We'll learn next episode if he does or doesn't know what will happen if Angel does reach true happiness. But at this point, I'm thinking to myself, this guy's just out to make Angel miserable, and that's all he's there for. Beyond that, in this episode, he's there to reveal to us that Jenny is there to make sure the curse on Angel remains intact, that her real name is Jana from the Kaldesh Gypsy tribe that cursed Angel all those years ago, and she's told to find a way to, to separate Angel from Buffy so that he will continue his suffering and and she says it will be done and she she changes her whole language pattern with him and that's what i really liked about this is that she's trying to be this california techno pagan and then he finally strikes a nerve in her where she becomes that romanian heritage again she lets that come through and her speech pattern changes and i and i boy Rabila Mortal really played that 
perfectly because she just turns on a dime and it's so sinister because then you realize wait a minute you know we've we've been on jenny's side because she got harmed and kind of hurt when giles's bad side came back to haunt him a few episodes ago and now they've kind of reconciled a little bit but you know you're like oh jenny's a cool person and now you realize she's not at all what you think she is i love it i love the plot twist with jenny on this like i said i think this was genius uh idea to go in and do this with her and i like it a lot it just adds something to that character now you're wondering is she actually part of the wrong team now that's the, the yeah, question that is she on? yeah that's the question yeah. that lays in your mind and i really really like that and what i also like in this too is you know buffy is having a lot of prophetic dreams uh, in this episode of what might be coming and it, it's scaring her and one of the dreams at the end uh, you see as, as she's finding, uh, she's going in and, and checking out the, the layer that the judge is in. You get a little glimpse of Jenny Calendar in the dream as she's walking by. And it's a little bit of a foreshadow for Buffy, but it's not really picked up on by her at that point. But I love that they added that in there. It's something that if you're not paying attention to, you may not notice. But Jenny Calendar, as she's dreaming here, is walking past her on the way out as she's going in to find the judge and everything else that's going on. That's a really good pickup, Brian. And I, I hadn't noticed it before until watching it this time through. And I noticed it this time and I said, Oh wow, that's kind of a neat little twist. And you talk about Buffy's dreams. Joyce pops up in that dream and she, are you really ready Buffy? And she drops that plate and it breaks. And then that actually happens the next morning. You know, this, these, all these, these dreams, we've already established that slayers can have dreams that are, you know, uh, foretelling of what's going to happen. We, we've established that in the first episode. Now they're bringing that back up. And I thought that was a neat way to tie in something that's been around in the series for a long time. And you can tell they're doing something at a pivotal moment in the plot here with it. Absolutely. And like I said, if you don't, if you haven't caught that before, go back and watch the, it's the second dream sequence that Buffy has. I believe the first one is the one you mentioned with Joyce, where she drops the plate. The second one is after they know about the judge she has a dream because they don't know if they've assembled the judge or not. She has a dream that she's going to the area that the judge and, and Spike and Drew are at to see what's going on. And there is the judge. But as she's walking there, walking away from the area, you'll see Jenny Calendar in a, in, in the, the dream sequence. And it's a neat, neat foreshadow that they put in there that you're not supposed to, I guess, see initially. But if you're watching, you'll catch it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about um, Cordelia and, and Xander in here. Uh, you know, Cordelia has been a little bit embarrassed about everything that's going on. She finally actually says it to, to Xander's face. She's done quips and things like that in the past. Now she actually tells Xander that she doesn't want to go public with their relationship because it's embarrassed. While Xander is trying to get her to say, you know, let's just tell everybody we're dating. It's not a big deal. And she says, we're not dating. This isn't dating. I, that's embarrassing. Why would I want to date you? And it, it kind of hurts Xander's feelings a little bit. You can see in this, you know, it doesn't stop him from continuing making out with her. But, you know, Cordy is trying to come to the to grips with what she's doing with him, and she's not ready yet. Well, I, you know, here's the thing. I, why would Xander be... I don't understand how he could get his feelings hurt about this, because... I think she sums it up best. You, you've got nothing to lose in this. Me, on the other hand, I do. And she's not wrong no, in, but in that. And, and in, while it's cruel, how can he be surprised by that? Because 
I mean, that's all Cordelia's been so far, right? I mean, that's what I think, at least. Right, but that doesn't mean he can't be hurt by it. Xander's finally thinking that, you know, all this time he's he's making out with Cordelia. They have something going there, and he wants to go public with it because he's he's proud of it, you know? Why wouldn't you be if you were in his situation? You're dating the most popular, or you're making out with the most popular girl in the class. You want to go public with it. And he thinks that maybe because Cordelia keeps making out with him, she feels the same way. And when she says she's embarrassed by him, of course he's going to be hurt. Why wouldn't he be hurt? Yeah, I get that Cordy's a, you know, a, a bitch most of the time and all that other stuff, but they're, they're making out in a closet. He obviously thinks that she has some kind of feelings for him and wants to take it to the next level. And she basically denies it. Yeah, she she shuts him down. That's that's for sure. You know, he has some great lines in the episode too. I, Xander always gets the good lines. It seems like now they've really punched up his comic relief, and he gets a lot with with Giles in here. And I mean, he's he even has a good line on her. You know, after they've had that fight in the thing, he's like, "Well, why don't we send Cordy to take care of the judge? Because you know, clearly she has no humanity." <laughs> I, I, that and, was one of my favorite lines in the whole episode too. It was just a, a fitting line. As this was after, the, of course, their argument, and she says she's embarrassed by him. And they talk about how the judge, you know, takes the humanity out, and anyone without humanity won't get harmed, but anyone who has humanity will be burned up. And that's when he lays that line on it. It's a hilarious line. Charles, what do we know? The more I study the judge, the less I like him. His touch can literally burn the humanity out of you. A true creature of evil can survive the process no human ever has. What's the problem? We send Cordy to fight this guy and we go for pizza. Speaking of good lines, we got to talk about Oz because he gets some good lines in this episode, but he also has a good back and forth with Xander. He's there at the surprise party when he sees Buffy slay a vampire, and he's just sort of blown away by all of that. And he's sort of staring off into space, and he's trying to deal with it. And Xander's like, "Yeah, vampires are real. A lot of them live in Sunnydale. Willow fill you in," and he just walks away. And he's just sort of left there with that look on his face, like, "Um, okay." Yeah, and I like what he says, too. He goes, actually, you know, well, because Will asks him if he's okay, and he says, actually, yeah, it kind of makes sense, some of the things that have been going on. And it's like the, it's like being awakened. We always talk about how the residents of Sunnydale are kind of blind to the fact that all this weird stuff goes on. It's not necessarily in the case that they're blind to it. They just don't know what to make of it, so they just ignore it. And you can see that maybe Oz was one of those people who he saw some weird stuff, didn't know what to make of it and just kind of put it away. And now seeing what happened with Buffy slaying a vampire. Oh, now all this stuff that I've seen throughout this time is starting to make sense. And I like that about it. I think it was really cool that he was able to accept it and everything pretty much right away. I thought that was an awesome character for him. The other thing too, is um, I love the interaction between him and Willow at, at, at the beginning of this episode. They're still in that early stage of trying to decide if they're going to have a real, a good relationship with each other or not. And I like that. Um, Oz tells, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I, I, I'm going to ask you out, but I'm afraid uh, I don't know what you're going to say. And Willow says, well, it, I'm going to say yes. And then he asks her out and she says, oh, no, I can't. I'm going to ask you to go out with me tomorrow night. And I'm kind of nervous about it, actually. It's interesting. Oh, well, if it helps at all, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, it helps. It, it creates a comfort zone. Do you want to go out with me tomorrow night? Oh, I can't. Uh, well, see, I like that you're unpredictable. Oh, it's just it's Buffy's birthday, and we're throwing our surprise party. It's okay. But you could come if you want it. Well, I don't want to crash. No, it's fine. 
Well, you could be my date. And I love that line from Oz. It's a funny line, and that's how he gets invited to the to the uh, surprise birthday party and all that stuff. But Oz is a great character, and, and he's really good for some great one-liners and some wit. And you get a lot of it in this episode. Yeah, you do. And you mentioned Willow there. She has two big purposes in this episode. One is to be Buffy's confidant as she's sort of talking to Buffy about you know, she ready to have sex with Angel, but then also getting over her own fears and her own life and relationships and sort of progressing this crush or interest or whatever she's got going on with Oz to that next level. And, uh, you know, you said they had that great banner back and forth. Well, if it's any consolation, I'm going to say yes. You know, if it's any relief to you. And I, that, they have a good little thing there while he's playing the guitar, which I think is cool. And it, it gives Willow some real depth because you can tell she feels incredibly vulnerable at that moment. But the fact that he relates to her and says that he's feeling the same way gives her a, an ease that she doesn't normally get. And that that's something you're seeing with Willow. Is We've talked about her progression as a character. She's become more at ease with herself and what she's able to do and her contribution to society as it is at this point. And now she's ready to sort of go there romantically, too. Yeah, and I, I thought that I think it's a great step in the right direction for Willow. You know, finally asserting herself and making the move. She didn't think she could make the move. And when Oz, you know, basically asked her out and she says she can't, then she decides she's going to make the move. I think obviously it helps that she knows Oz will say yes, <laughs> but she does take that step and make that move and, and go ahead and, and start things in this relationship. And I like that. I, I thought it was a good character step for her. And it's also helping us finally get, you know, as we move in the next couple episodes, it'll finally end up getting past the Willow in love with Xander thing and moved on to someone else. And I think that's well overdue. Yeah, it really is. We got to check in with our villains here for a little bit, Brian. Spike and Drusilla and their old buddy Dalton, the smart looking vampire, if you will, are, are up to no good, as we've said. And we see Spike in a wheelchair now after the fight with Buffy and the gang and What's My Line and and Drusilla is very much in control now. She's very freaky. And and he's trying to keep her calm and trying to keep everybody else in line. But yet he's kind of powerless at this point, too. And I don't know. Is he paralyzed? What is Spike's deal? Like, I don't get his injuries. They never really explain it either. He's just in this wheelchair, and he's got on this terrible prosthetic on his face where he's burnt. Like, they barred it off of Donald Pleasance at the end of Halloween 4 and stuck it on his face. I don't know why, but I don't know what his injuries are. I can't get it, because I thought vampires healed really fast. Yeah, well, technically, they're supposed to heal really fast. And, you know, as we go through the season, it'll be explained. But, yes, taking the uh, the the weight of the pipe organ and everything else falling on him, I think crushed his legs. He's not paralyzed. I just think he's got injured or broken legs and that's why he's in a wheelchair because everything else seems to be working just fine other than the, the little weird scar on his face. But yeah, I think it's supposed to be that his legs are crushed from the accident. Yeah. And I do like the fact that, you know, you called out that the judge had, had busted them for, you know, I can smell the humanity on you that, Spike kind of likes the world. He's not all about burning it down. And that's an important thing to note, by the way, that, that will come into play later. That Spike is, is he likes the, the trappings of the world. I and mean, you can tell he listens to rock and roll music. He drives, you know, fast cars. He smokes cigarettes. He, you know, he likes women and fun. And, you know, he's just a bad dude. And, but he doesn't hate 
humanity. They're his food for one thing, but they're also his sport and they're his fun. And it all and that and that brings up an interesting question here. Why bring the judge about? You know, because the judge's purpose is to burn the world of all humanity. So why would you do that if you I don't I didn't get it. Well but but it is kind of a I don't know. I thought that was a neat back and forth with him and the judge. Well, the thing is, I think that that's more to do with Drusilla than it is Spike. Spike wants to make Drusilla happy. That's just the way he is. And it's Drusilla who wants to, you know, cause the end of the world, the chaos, and all that other stuff. She's really uh, an interesting character as far as that goes. She's much more evil than Spike ever will be. And so it's coming out now, as she's back to her full power, that this is the case. And so that's why I think uh, he's doing it. He's going along with his his lady and going with what she wants to do. And, and speaking of Drusilla, you know, she is, you, like we said, back to full strength, but wow, she freaks out in this episode over the flowers being arranged the wrong way for the party for the judge. When he arrives, she almost kills Dalton because he was, un, he lost one of the boxes to the, uh, the gang when he was getting in the fight with Buffy and it's Spike who actually tells her, no, no, don't kill him. We need him. Send him out to get it. And that's what she does. But it's an interesting, she's really interesting. She gets upset and angry very easily. And bad things happen when Drusilla gets angry. Well, we've already established that Drusilla as a human was driven completely insane by Angel before she was turned into a vampire. So the fact that she's now a demon and insane makes her doubly dangerous and and more unpredictable. She's incredibly and that's an interesting parallel in this for this look at Oz and Willow. You know, Oz tells Willow he likes her unpredictability. And you can tell in some way Spike likes the fact that Drusilla is a complete loose cannon. You never know what you're going to get from her. I mean, she's a cherry bomb in your closed fist all the way. And you just, I mean, you never know what you're going to get, but he is totally enamored with her. And like you said, he lives to make her happy. Yeah, and and Spike really is the only one who's able to reason with Drusilla when she gets psycho. He's able to talk her out of things and talk her down and calm her down where no one else really can. You know, Dalton almost loses his eyes because of what he did. And it's Spike who has to say, no, let's leave him be. Don't worry about it. We'll, We'll get it back. And that calms true down. Yeah, it really does. And I think you made a great point is that Drusilla is clearly way more dangerous than Spike ever would would be. And she's and she and she's willing to uh, she's willing to go to the nth degree to to see chaos reign, essentially. So it's it makes her a much different character. Before we knew she was just unstable, but she was weak. Now she's unstable and strong. So you have no idea what Drusilla's capable of. Yep, it's it's very, very interesting and very scary at the same time to have to deal with someone like that. But that is how, you know, things were for this one. Um, what I do like, too, uh, is that in the final sequence when Buffy, well, not the final sequence, I guess, but towards the end uh, of the episode when they're down there with the judge having their little party, Buffy does show up and they catch her. And Drew lays a line on her I thought was really interesting. She says Buff- to Buffy that she only dreamed that she would come here. So it's almost like she's linked to Buffy's dreams. She's projecting those dreams to Buffy in order to entice her there. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic as well. That is, there's a very new thing that we haven't seen that yet. You know, the idea that Buffy dreamed of the master often before, but now you're getting to the idea that, well, what if the vampires can 
wage war with Buffy that way too. You know, mentally they can they can attack her, and and you you can kind of see they've hinted that 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 power might be out there. Yeah, you can you can trace that all the way back to the movie with Lothos. He was doing that. He was invading Buffy's dreams in the movie. So they brought that kind of piece out of the movie and put it into here with Drusilla, and I think that's an interesting. Uh, piece, a plot piece that they can use later in the series as well. That's a great callback, Brian. I hadn't even thought about that. That's uh, that's excellent. So yeah, they're they're definitely bringing back everything here. You can tell they they're playing with all of it here. They're rolling the dice big on these two episodes, and, and, and they've got a lot going on here. We got to talk about Buffy and Angel though, because this this episode is really about these two. We've talked about the escalation in their relationship. We said in Bad Eggs Angel was really only there to make out with Buffy. Well, he's here to do a lot more this time. And and he's a central part of everything. Jenny clearly is connected to him now in this whole gypsy curse bit. Obviously, Spike and Drew are not exactly his best friends anymore. He knows a lot about the judge or he knows enough about the judge to help the group out. Angel and Buffy, uh, Angel gets a lot to do in this episode with Buffy. Yes, and Buffy is very startled by the dreams she has because, as she know, we know her dreams sometimes are prophetic, and some of the stuff she sees really freaks her out. And Angel is there to kind of be the one to console her, to make her feel like everything's going to be okay, to be her comfort zone, and, and that's uh, where he starts off. And their relationship is really progressing. Obviously, this is Buffy's 17th birthday now, and he has gotten her something very special. And that's what I've always known as a Irish wedding ring. I'm not sure what you've known it as, but it's a clotta ring. Yeah. So he gives her a clotta ring for her birthday. And basically what that is, obviously, if you watch the episode, you know, but it's two hands around a heart with a crown on it. And basically, if you wear the heart facing you, you're taken. If you wear it the opposite way, which most people who aren't with someone don't wear it. But if you do wear it the opposite way, it means you're free. It's a way of uh, telling prospective mates, yes or no, I'm available type thing. But he gives us, he, he was wearing this in the beginning of the episode, and I thought that was an interesting key piece too, because I don't believe he's worn this at all uh, at, in the uh, episodes previous to this. But at the beginning when Buffy is dreaming of Angel, you do see him wearing that ring. And later in the episode when he gives her a ring of her own, that kind of to signify to both of them that they are each other's. It's almost, some people call it a promise ring too, I think. Yeah, I've, I've seen that in a lot of ways. It's a romantic gesture. I, we should mention about the dreams, though. She dreams he dies in Correct. the in the the dream, and you know Buffy's real wary of that. And if you want to follow the symbolism here a little bit, Buffy's ready to have sex with her boyfriend. You know, and we make this all human for a minute. And she's afraid if she doesn't, something body else is going to take him away from her. That that's what I'm reading that as. I don't know how you read that, Brian. I've always read that as part of it was the prophetic Slayer lore, all that stuff. But part of it also just the very human story they're telling here of the teenage girl's ready to have sex with her boyfriend, and she dreams that if she doesn't, he's going to die or be taken away from her. She's afraid she's going to lose him if she doesn't totally give herself over to him. Did you see it that way? No, actually, I did not. Uh, I think that's an interesting and very realistic. Now that I think about it way to look at that and you know how many teenagers go about having sex for the first time because they don't want to lose the person they're with i mean it's a interesting way to look at that i did not see it that way um at all actually i didn't read a whole lot into it other than 
I saw the symbolism of Angel dying in her dream to actually come true at the end of this episode. In, in a larger realm, too, Angel is giving himself over to Buffy in a lot of ways, too. I mean, he's sharing his culture with her, and he's this whole ring, that whole bit. And the fact that, you know, Jenny comes up with this idea of you've got to take the arm across the world, Angel. And he's like, I can't fly. You know, I've got to go on a boat. It's going to take a year, you know, all that stuff. And he's like, I don't like this any more than you do, Buffy. But he just sort of accepts that fate. But in the same light, you can tell it's killing him because he doesn't want to be away from her. He's he's falling as hard for her as she is for him. I mean, he's Absolutely. really clouded by by all of that with her. And I think that's that's an interesting thing to note here. It's not just Buffy who's madly in love with Angel. He's totally in love with this girl. I mean, that crushes him to the core that he, just as he's getting deeply involved with Buffy, now he's got to go away and take this judge's arm somewhere where it can't be seen and he might not see her again for a year and he knows that in a year's time things can change and that that crushes him and i also find it very interesting that you know he's 240 plus years old and it's still hard for him to tell her that he loves her it's still hard yeah. for him to express himself that way and i think that's kind of a neat little thing because Saying those words means something, and you can tell to him it still means something, and it's hard for him to, to, to bring it out because of how important those words actually are. Yeah, and, and I do think that's uh, – I just think that's a great character moment, you know, that he's been around this long, but he's so – He's so hesitant with her that he, he just doesn't know what to do. And he's even hesitant when they have sex. He's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't. And she just, you know, she tells him to shush and then it's on right. after that. And and they and I'll, I'll say this, you know, that's a pretty tasteful love scene. They, they did a really good job with that. I mean, it, it really, for a show that hasn't gone there before, and admittedly up to this point had, hadn't really figured out how to do that. None, you know, all the directors and the writers said, talk about it. We didn't know what to do. It just says they get it on in the script like they had to sort of figure that out the actors and the whole direction and all that during that scene is really really poignant and sweet and very tasteful uh, for what it is I mean you do have two people having sex I mean it is what it is but it's done so in a way that conveys a lot of emotion and the depth of the emotion of what's going on at that moment the the consummation of that relationship that major step that they're both taking absolutely and it just shows that there is something really special there between those two, and it comes out in the scene. And like you said, a, a great job by the, the, the cast, the crew, everyone who put that together because it really came across as something major special going on between these two, and it was a very important piece that you need to be paying attention to. Well, okay, let me ask you this, Brian. It, it, but do, you, do you agree with me that Buffy instigates this whole sexual encounter? Absolutely. Here? Okay, now I, I, I'm not exonerating Angel from anything here. He's as much into her as she is into him. But she's the one talking about it the whole time, right? I mean, this is her whole thing. She's got two goals in this episode. Get her driver's license and to have relations with her boyfriend. That's what she wants yeah. more than anything. And, and she is really trying to dispatch with this whole judge business and all this other stuff so she can spend time with Angel. And she really wants to take that next step with him because she's ready to go that next step, or at least feels like she's ready to do that. I think you're right there because you look at this whole time and everything that's going on, She all she wants to do is go back to Angel's place and, and be with him. And 
you know, sleep with him and all this other stuff. Everything else is secondary. She doesn't want to be bothered with what's going on with the judge. She, even at the party, she's just kind of like, I just want to, you know, go home and spend time with my boyfriend. Then when he's going to be drifting apart, she sees that this is not going to happen now and it really crushes her. She wants just a little bit of time with him before he leaves and he can't give that to her. And, you know, luckily for them, they're attacked and it changes plans. But yeah, she's completely driving this 100% to get get him back to the place and, and and consummate this relationship. And Angel is very hesitant when she tries. You know, he even says, is this really what we should be doing? And like you said, she takes control and says, don't worry about it. Let's just do this. And they go. And uh, yeah, so Puffy is is definitely the, the one in the driver's seat on this. Yeah, and I think that, and I want to talk about the ending, Brian. You know, when you see this, you and I know where this goes, but if you're just watching this show, I can remember going, what is happening at the end of this when he runs out into the street and he's screaming in pain? And I mean, it's classic horror movie, you know, Frankenstein moment here. There's lightning and rain and he's crying out into the dark, Buffy, and then boom, fade to black to be continued. And you just have no idea what has happened. And if you haven't been paying attention and keeping up through the whole episode, and it's easy to get lost and there's a lot of stuff in this episode, you have no no idea where they're about to go. And they are about to twist this thing uh, in a great, great way. M. Night Shyamalan, eat your freaking heart out. Yeah. So. It, it, it's interesting, too. And like you said, even if you're paying attention this whole episode, I don't think you come out of this knowing what's going to happen if you haven't seen the next episode. I really don't. I think you're left wondering, what's wrong with Angel? Is something happened that's going to – is he going to die? The, is the dream coming true for Buffy? You know, what could have happened to him that caused this? Can vampires not do this sort of thing? You're left with a lot of questions at the end of this. And I think that's an awesome way to, to really cliffhang that episode to see where we're going. And like you said, they twist this thing up upside down and it is awesome. Yeah, and I mean, really, the the things that happen here are the the consummated relationship between Buffy and Angel, that major step. And also, don't forget that we've now set up Jenny Calendar to be something much different than what we've known. And and that'll all play out in the near future. Well, Brian, it's time to do our ratings for this episode. So what's your dustings rating for Surprise? If there ever was an episode to get a four dustings, this is the one. This is a fantastic episode. So much stuff happens in this episode. Jenny Calendar, the the Buffy and Angel consummating, you know, all sorts of stuff goes on here that just makes this an all-around great episode and actually makes you start to question what is actually going on with some of these characters, and I love that. It makes you very intrigued by everything going on and then really makes you want to watch the next episode immediately. Yeah, I can't say it any better. This is a four dustings all the way from me too, Brian. This is a great episode. It's so well written, well paced. They jam a ton of stuff into this one and it never lags. It it just goes well. You've got a lot with every character here too, but more importantly, you get some some real pivotal moments in Buffy's life and Anytime you center an episode around Buffy and you put Angel in it, I'm I'm down for it, and they did a great job with it here. So this is a four dustings for me as well. Folks, we're leaving you cliffhanging this week with surprise, but don't worry. We'll be back next week with the second part of this as we'll do episode 13, Innocence. But in between now and then, you can check up uh, for updates about the podcast on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash Buffy. You can find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages there. You can also send the email to Brian and I at mailbag at continuous 
LetUsPlayPodcast.com, and we'll try to answer your questions there. Tune in again next time when we wrap up the second part of this and we talk about episode 13, Innocence. Until then, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to The Art of Slaying. continues to play. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Grr, arg. <laughs>